God, we, uh, we thank you for our stories, and we thank you for the stories that even some of us just share, memories from Easter and other things. And God, you know our stories. You know the details of the very little stories we just told. You know the details of the stories of our entire life. And you know our story, and uh, Jesus' mission is to redeem our stories and to give them meaning and life and hope and joy that comes only from you. So, God, thank you that you uh, don't just, you're not just some big God who ignores us and then just tries to get us to behave, but you actually engage, you sent Jesus to enter into our stories uh, to bring life to us. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Calvin and Hobbes. All right, comic strip time, all right? Calvin says this, look, it's almost 11 o'clock. So he's in school. And he says, wow, the last two hours really flew, flew by. Then he finishes with, hope the teacher didn't say anything important. <laughs> You've been in a situation where you kind of realize you haven't been listening the last five minutes, ten minutes, hour, two hours. And you're like, I hope I didn't miss anything. Not important. And to switch over to comic strips, maybe it's like Charlie Brown's teacher. All you heard was wah, 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 wah. But there's this sense of I hope I didn't miss anything important. And one of the things I find when I reread the Gospels, which are the four New Testament books about the life of Jesus, is that sometimes I realize I think I missed something Jesus was saying. I, I don't think I ever saw that before or I didn't hear that before. And I wonder how many times I've lived my life and I thought, well, I hope I didn't miss anything important that Jesus was saying to me or tried to say to me. We're going to look today at something that the disciples, either they missed it or ignored it, something really important Jesus was saying to them. And we're going to kind of challenge ourselves, myself included, do we always hear the important things Jesus is saying? And have we heard what he's already said regarding some issues in terms of the pathway to joy? All right. So what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is we've been doing a series called Jesus in Focus. And again, the whole idea is let's read the Bible and see who Jesus is, not go by our perceptions of what we think people have told us that Jesus is about. You know, that uh, I was talking to somebody this week and they just said, you know, I think Jesus is really just about the way of love. Well, he is, but there's a whole lot more to the story of Jesus. So let's make sure we know what he did say and what he didn't say and what he said he was all about. So now next week, I've told you this before, but next week as part of this, there'll be a five-week part of the series where I'm going to interview somebody every week. Next week is a Mormon, a former Mormon bishop. They, they volunteer, so they rotate. I'm going to do a 20-minute interview and ask them, what's the good life? How do you get there? And what do you think of Jesus? Next week, it's a Jewish rabbi. Next week, it's a self-identified gay Christian. The next week, it's a leader in the local mosque. And the next week, one of the Buddhist monks. Not at all with the intention of saying, hey, we're all going the same direction. It's a conversation. It's not a debate. But what I wanted to do to all of us is to kind of challenge our thinking about who, who is Jesus in the Bible. So it'll be a 20-minute interview and then a 10 to 12-minute, what I'm going to call a micro-sermon on aspects of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talked about the kind of people we can become. It's not going to be in, in response to the, conver the, the earlier conversation either. So, but I think the next five weeks you'll find some interest. It, I'm hoping it really sparks you to think and try to focus who is Jesus 
and what is he all about, all right? So uh, you'll, you're, I'm gonna s you'll get something through email this week that'll explain more of that, so if you have questions ahead of time. So, so back to Jesus in focus. I'm going to go start with Matthew 28, one of the, in the Gospel of Matthew, the account of uh, some of the women going to the empty tomb of Jesus. I'm just going to read one verse, Matthew 28, 6. So um, Mary, actually Mary and Mary, as Mary Magdalene and another Mary went out to visit the tomb. It says there's an earthquake. They see an angel. The tomb's empty. An angel speaks to the women and says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Read those next five words with me. Just as he said he would. Just as he said would happen. Sorry, I didn't read it right. Just as he said would happen. So it's like, wait a minute. So they're saying he, he's risen. And he already told you that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I, the angel did that with any kind of sarcasm. But this was something I think they, they all missed. And I'm, I was reading this a couple weeks ago when, he, when the angel said, he's risen just as he said he would. And I remember stopping and thinking, did he tell them? And I knew he did, but I thought, I want to really see when, when did he tell the disciples this was all going to happen? Why didn't they get it? Why were they so shocked that it all happened that way when he very clearly told them many times that this would happen. So let's go, I'm going to review some of the times. Let's go, first we'll jump back to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says this. He's telling this to the disciples. So again, he told them this and they missed it. He said he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed on the third day he'd be raised from the dead. So Jesus told the disciples that. Now, in that situation, you know what happened? So Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to raise from the dead. Peter's reaction, that's all we from this passage, Peter's reaction was, the scripture said he reprimanded Jesus. No! <laughs> this is not going to happen. Do we, do we ever do that? When, when Jesus is saying... Like what he's saying is something hard and painful and saying that maybe the next couple steps in the pathway to joy is going to involve pain. They aren't hearing the resurrection part. All they're hearing is the suffering part. And Peter's like, no, that's not what we all signed up for, Jesus. You've had that conversation with Jesus before, right? When it feels like the next few steps in your pathway to joy and your pathway to transformation of being the kind of person you want to be, was going to involve a stretching kind of pain or suffering. Not that Jesus loves suffering. Please don't get me wrong on that. But there is that sense of there's something. And then Jesus actually said, at, after Peter reprimanded, he says, you don't understand. If you want to find your life, you have to lose it. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. So they, Jesus already said, he, here's the first time where he said it explicitly. I'm going to be crucified I'm going to be raised again on the third day. Peter gives this no reaction because he doesn't like what that means. That's, that's, that was Matthew chapter 16. Now Matthew chapter 17, just a chapter later. This time they had been doing some ministry. They gathered back in Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel where Jesus grew up and there all were from. And it says, Jesus told them, quote, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He'll be killed on the third day. He'll be raised from the dead. Okay, he told them again very clearly, going to be betrayed, third day, raised from the dead. 
This time, the response, all we read in Scripture is it says the disciples didn't know what to say, but they were grieved. And in the other Gospels, it says they, they, didn't even, they were even afraid to ask Jesus what he meant. Again, your journey to joy, alive, awake, and free, the kind of person you know you can be that God made you to be, when Jesus says, or Jesus sends you down a path that's going to be a challenge for you and a stretch for you, sometimes the response really is just, I'm sad, and I don't even know what to say to Jesus. I just don't know what that. And it kind of, we kind of forget about it. Third time this happened, Matthew chapter 20. So as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. So this is like days before the final week in Jerusalem. He takes them aside. Hey, guys, get over here. Uh, let me tell you what's going to happen. I mean, Jesus couldn't have been more explicit with these guys. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die. So, this, this is, so Jesus is talking to these guys sitting by the grass or whatever. Maybe they weren't paying attention. Maybe they were swatting flies. Who knows? Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. So Jesus just tells his disciples, and there were other people around too, this is what's going to happen. Mocked, crucified, flogged with a whip, and rise from the dead. You know what happens next in this particular part of the passage? They start to argue. James and John's mother comes up to Jesus and says, so Jesus just finished this really intense thing. James and John's mother come to Jesus. Hey, can I, let me ask you a favor, Jesus. Um, when you kind of get to that place on your throne, can my sons have right hand, left hand thrones there? And you, if, if this was a movie, you'd probably be like, what is she thinking? Did she hear what he just said? And then the disciples start to argue because they find out that James and John's mom asked for the right and left hand places, which they wanted. So they start arguing, and Jesus, you, you got to see Jesus just walking away thinking, they don't hear a word I'm saying. Now, and Jesus doesn't mock them, but it's amazing. It's like he says that really intensely, and then, uh, Jesus, uh, got a favor, Jesus, got a favor to ask of you. Like, did, did you? So I wonder if sometimes, if in your journey, your spiritual life, as you kind of, we all would say, none of us, Everybody here wants a life full of joy. Everybody here wants a life where we see transformation and change and alive, awake, and free. And when Jesus sends us down a pathway that looks like it might be challenging, stretching, painful, sometimes we just change the subject, don't we? Uh, but I have a favor to ask of you, Jesus. I, uh, could you do this for me? And he's like, well, I, I want you to go that way, though. It's going to be a challenge for you, but it's going to lead to the kind of change you've always wanted. But I have a favor. I have a favor. I mean... We're good at that. We're good at kind of, uh, yeah, I heard what you said, but can I change the subject? Fourth time. Now, keep in mind here, too, Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was the tax collector. He was Jewish. The Gospel of Matthew is written to the Jews, primarily. Matthew was among this group of people. So he's writing this, and he's kind of indicting himself. He's saying, I didn't get it either. I mean, he wrote this 30, we think 30 or 40 years after. But as he's recounting it, he's probably remembering, how did we miss all that? So if, if anything, Matthew's really making himself look bad. And then people who would say, 
well, the gospel writers just changed the story to make it sound like Jesus rose from the dead, and they inserted all these quotes in there. It's like, why in the world would Matthew write a story that makes him look like a dim-witted, dull-minded person? Because they were, in a sense, spiritually. So in a weird kind of way that gives more validity, I think, to Scripture, because they don't make themselves look good. So in the last, uh, Matthew chapter 26, this is actually on the way during the week of his crucifixion. Matthew 26, on the way Jesus told them, tonight, this is actually Thursday, the night of his, of his betrayal, tonight all of you will desert me, for the scripture says God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go on ahead of you to Galilee to meet you there. Here it's Thursday night, and he's telling them, this is going to happen to me, but I'm going to raise from the dead, I'll meet you in Galilee, I'll see you there on Sunday. I mean, he couldn't have said it any clearer, and then what is Peter Peter says, well, if anybody else deserts you, I won't desert you. In other words, if it's going to have to happen, if we're going to have to go down this pathway of rejection and suffering of pain, I'm in. Let's go. And then when the first kind of steps of suffering and pain and rejection hit Peter, he's like, I'm out. Do you have, I've done that. Have you ever done that? Where you have this sense of, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then you kind of step into what is going to be a painful situation. And you're like, um... Yeah, maybe I'm not really in. Maybe I'm kind of out, and I'll just see how it all turns out. Because it seems like in all these, all these accounts, what was hard was Jesus is saying the pathway to joy will include suffering, pain, rejection. P- please note, that is, the Christian message is not follow Jesus, and you'll have a suffering horrible life. It's not the message of the gospel, but it is the message that Jesus said on the way to joy, there is, you have to find your life, you got to lose it. You got to carry your cross, you got to follow me. If you want to be a servant, if you want to be a leader, you have to be a servant. He's flipping everything upside down. We, me, I just want the change of, I just want life change. I don't, I want to go straight to the tomb. Can we skip the cross, please? Why do we have to, I mean, I've had people actually tell me this. Well, I, I love Christianity. I love the resurrection. But the, the cross, the blood. Someone even told me recently, I don't even like the look on Jesus' face on the paintings on the cross where he's in agony because I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. But it seems like if we're honest with the gospel in, of Jesus in focus, he said, if you want to find your life, if you want to find the joy, peace, alive, awake, and free kind of life, you will have challenge along the way. You will have to die to yourself. Now, I mentioned this last week. Last week, which was the week, I talked about the week before Jesus' crucifixion when he flipped the tables. Go to the next one down there, Stephanie. It was a week of disruption. Remember he flipped the tables over the first day of the week on Monday. And the whole week of his last week of his life, round one, he was arguing with the Pharisees. He was, he was disrupting everybody's religious carts, tipping everything over. And one of the points I made last week was maybe the principle here is disruption precedes resurrection. You want to see your life be this fully alive kind of thing that Jesus talks about, Jesus 
will have to disrupt some things to get there. This week, maybe the principle is discomfort. And discomfort, almost too soft a word, it just had the dis in the front of it, so it kind of worked. But I'll say extreme discomfort. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want that kind of life, there will be discomfort, stretching, pain, suffering. He even says, you may even be persecuted because of me. But both situations, if Jesus has to disrupt your life or, or allow discomfort in your life for the sake of refining you and making you to that live, awake, and free person you know he wants you to be, then you have to make that decision. Do you want the resurrection and all that Jesus himself said is included in that? Or do you just want the resurrection and you want to skirt around the suffering, the whipping, the cross. I just want the resurrection, please. Can I just have that? Can I just have new life, happy life, joyful life? Do I have to have stretching and discomfort and disruption? And Jesus would say, well, you can't have both. If you want life you, and you want me to do it for you, you've got to let me do it the way I'm going to do it. Now, let's go back to the Matthew 28 passage. They just told, angels just told Mary and Mary, just as Jesus said would happen, he rose from the dead. And they're kind of now thinking, oh, he did say this. And then it says this was happened next. The woman ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with, read those two words with me, great joy. How many of you, don't raise your hands, would say that characterizes your life, great joy? I live a life of great joy. If we're all honest, most would say, well, we'd love to be true of us. And there's bits and pieces of times where we have a lot of joy. But as a whole, it seems like that seems to be what Jesus says. This is how we should be living. Our joy should be a huge part of our lives. Not fakey joy, not like, hi, I'm happy in Jesus. Not, not the plastic smile joy, but the joy that no matter what happens to me, I have a sense of peace and contentment and joy in my life. Paul writes about being joyful when he's in prison. It's like, where do I get that kind of joy? Because Jesus never promised he's going to take away distractions or pain or he's not going to take away, you know, you're going to have kids that walk away from the Lord. You're going to have sickness in your life. Christians get cancer as much as non-Christians get cancer. Jesus never said, you follow me, all those things go away. He says, you know, if you follow me, I'll give you joy in the midst of that kind of situation. I'll give you joy. I'll give you peace. Actually, in the gospel, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 the writer says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Paul in Philippians says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Okay, Let's, can we just stop the sentence there? We'd love to. This is what Paul goes on to say. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Can I have the first clause and not the second? If you're honest with Jesus and focus in the Bible, no, you can't. If you want to say, I want the power of the resurrection in my life, you have to say, and I'm willing to go through the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, here's how I want to close today. I heard a song yesterday, uh, piano solo, and I'm going to play it for you. I'm not playing it for you. It's going to be on a recording and when I listen to this song, it, it, 
it made me think of joy. And it was, it, the song is called All of Me, and the sense is I'm giving all of me to this song. But I want you to listen to the song, because I think what happens is when you read these passages about the suffering of Jesus or carry your cross, we kind of hear the background music is, we're like, that's well, whoopee Christianity. I want you to hear a different background music. The background music is joy, but also hear clearly what Jesus says. So, Brian, start playing it, and I'm going to just read one passage, and then, I'll, then when I'm done reading, I just want you to just kind of listen, all right? To the song. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Oh, keep, oh, is it playing? Sorry. I missed it. Here we go. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Brian, turn it up. Just close your eyes, and I want this to be what you want, what Jesus, understand, this is what Jesus wants your soul to be. This is his goal for you, joy. We want that to be the music of our souls that comes from the deepest part of our being. We want that to play loudly in our homes. We want that to play loudly in our neighborhoods. We want that to play loudly in our schools. We want that to be played loudly with everybody we interact with because we want them to see the joy inside of us, not fake, not manufactured, 
not forced, but the joy that comes from people who say to you, we want that, Jesus, we will follow you through disruption, to, through discomfort, because we want you, and we want that joy. That's the kind of thing we want to be, God, and would you give us the courage and the grace to hear you clearly when you invite us to that pathway of joy. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we finish every